Philemon, after Titus, before Hebrews, one page in your Bibles. So if you can find Titus or Hebrews, you'll find Philemon. Let's open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your care. Lord, we thank you that you've had a plan from the beginning for us and that you will make it happen. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at the book of Philemon. Help us to see what you'd have us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Philemon. One whole chapter. We're starting at verse 8. We talked last week about the greeting. And we talked about who Philemon is. He's a fairly wealthy man living in Colossae. Uh, and his uh, story is about Onesimus, his runaway slave, who Paul meets in Rome and leads to Christ and then says, you need to go back. And they write this letter to Philemon saying, please be nice to him. <laughs> he's gotten saved. He's changed. So starting at verse 8. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin you, that which is inconvenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech you, being such as one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in times past was useless was to you unprofitable, but now profitable to you and to me, whom I send again, you therefore receive him that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in your stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of, of the gospel. But without your mind would I do nothing, that your benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that you should receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto the, you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If you count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he has wronged you or owes you aught, put it to my account. So this is Paul's beseeching to Philemon for Onesimus. And remember we talked last week about the fact that a runaway slave, <coughs> okay, a runaway slave, <laughs> Would, if they came, if they were drugged back and they, they came back, they were usually beaten as an example to the other slaves not to run away. So Onesimus now is a Christian. He's going, he's going to try to do what is right. And yet he's fearful of doing what's right because if he goes back, he can, at the, very, at the best he can hope for is a beating. He might even be executed to really show the other slaves you don't run away. So this is Paul now making his beseeching to him. So he says, Wherefore I might be bold in Christ to enjoin you that which is convenient. This is kind of an interesting statement. Paul saying, I could order you. <laughs> you know, you're a Christian. I'm your pastor. I'm your, I'm your leader. I'm gonna, I could order you. Now, in our day and age, we don't think of pastors having that much authority, but in, in the New Testament churches, pastors had a lot of authority. And Paul saying, I could do this. You know, you, you, and he's going to say later on, you owe, me, you owe me your very life, you owe me your soul. You know, I could just be very bold <laughs> and tell you to accept Onesimus back. And we want to be careful because how many people that we meet in Christianity think that Christianity is just a whole bunch of rules? Do this, do this, do that, do this, you know, and, you know, we meet them all the time. Well, I don't like that religious thing. Well, you know what? I don't like religion either. I despise religion. Religion's a bunch of rules telling people what to do. I like the fact that Christianity is a relationship with God. 
Why do I obey his rules? Because I love him enough that I want to try to obey his rules, not because I must. Have you ever tried to obey rules because you must? <laughs> uh, I don't really want to do this, but uh, just because I was told I have to, I'm going to. My attitude on the roads. <laughs> I, I hate speed limits. <laughs> uh, I don't like tickets, so I keep to the speed limit, but I hate speed limits. I hate going, you know, and I really hate it when people go below the speed limit. <laughs> you know, uh, especially on roads where you can't pass them. <laughs> It's not too bad on the highway. Go as slow as you want. Just keep on your side and I'll go on my side. Not a problem. But you know, how many of us have that same attitude? If we're told we must do something, isn't it difficult to be obedient? But if we want to be obedient, it's so much easier. And this is what Paul's saying. He goes, I could make it. I mean, you owe me so much. I could just say, accept him. He says, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech you being such as one as Paul the aged and also a prisoner in Christ and Jesus Christ. What he's saying, I'm an old man. Take it. <laughs> Please listen to me. <laughs> you know, I'm asking you because I'm old. We don't know how old he was, but he is at the end of his life. He's about ready to be executed. He's been ministering for probably 30 years in the book of Acts, give or take a few. You know, we know that he had to be at least 30 when he got, uh, got, got saved because to be part of the Sanhedrin, he had to be at least 30 years old. He was a rabbi, and he would have, so he's somewhere in his 60s, 70s, maybe 80s. He's, he's saying, I'm old. You know, please listen to me. Do, you, know, please, you know, please listen to me. If, you're not, if I can't order you as a pastor, let me just in, entreat you as an elder, as an elderly person, please listen to. You know, and we think about this, you know, especially when we were younger. How many times did our grandparents maybe do this to us? Just listen to me because I'm old. I know what I'm talking about. That's kind of what Paul is saying here. You know, I know what I'm talking about, and if, and if my being old isn't enough, I'm also a prisoner for Jesus. <laughs> At this time, Paul is in prison. He's under house arrest. He's chained to two Roman guards for four-hour shifts, 24 hours a day. I felt sorry for those guards. Many of them got saved because they were chained to Paul for 24, over 24 hours. Can you imagine being chained to somebody who's preaching, and you don't like their preaching, and you're chained to them for four hours at a time? listening to every preaching, every sermon, every teaching they make, every book they write. <laughs> um, so he's, he's there. He says, I beseech you for my son Onesimus that I have begotten in my bonds. This is kind of interesting. When, he, when Paul talks about these people he leads to the Lord, he calls them his children. How many of us have worked in, with people? How many of people have led somebody to the Lord that's only the beginning. Once you get them to accept Jesus Christ, you're only at the starting line. Because now we have to teach them how to walk with God. We disciple them. Jesus took the disciples. He called them. They followed him. And he spent the next uh, four years teaching them how to act the way he wanted them to act, by example. He walked with them. He talked with them. He taught them. And you, would you, can you imagine what it would have been like to walk with Jesus? It w just wasn't teaching. It was every time he got into a situation, they watched how he actually did things. Because we all probably have done it ourselves with our kids. You know, uh, there's a famous line that people like to say, do as I say, not as I do. That's not a good way to teach. <laughs> all right. You want to teach them to do what you're doing so your life should be doing what you're trying to teach them. In Jesus' case, that's exactly what it was. He was doing what 
he said. He had compassion on the lost. He cared. He loved for those, loved the people that were lost sheep. Now, he had a little bit of trouble with the scribes and Pharisees and the Sadducees who were a little bit of self-righteous, who didn't think that they needed anything. He, went, he got in their face. But for the people who were truly lost, he had great love and compassion. Now, he had love and compassion for the Pharisees, scribes, and, and Sadducees as well, but they needed to be broken before they could even recognize that they needed a Savior. And this is something that God does in our life so often. He says, you don't want to be broken. You don't want to listen. You don't want to be taught. Okay. <laughs> and he doesn't just walk away from us. He puts us in trials that will break us, break our will, break our pride, and make us turn to him. So if you're somebody who is very prideful, very hard-headed, get ready for a very hard time in your life as God breaks that pride. If you're a humble person and you're willing to say, okay, God, I give up very quickly, he doesn't have to put you through all the hard tests. Does that mean he's not going to put you through any tests? No, he's going to put you through all kinds of tests. Why does he put us through the test? And this is something we have to understand. God is not putting us through trials and temptations and, and all these things because he's mean and mad at us. He's putting us through these to help us grow. When we face a trial, we have the option saying, God, I depend on you. I'm going to trust you. I want to grow. Or I can fight tooth and nail against it, and God's a lot stronger. We think about Jacob wrestling the angel of God, God himself. You know, thinking, thinking he's doing pretty good until the angel touches his hip and puts it out of joint. And his hip is out of joint for the rest of his life because he would not surrender. He would not, and he had a long-term consequence. For the rest of his days, he had a consequence. And he had a lot of years left to go. And his hip was out of socket, and he limped for the rest of his life, it said. Why? Because he would not surrender to God. How do we want to deal with our life? Do we want to just surrender to God quickly, easily? Or do we want to struggle with God, fight against him, and have him do something that will cause us pain and, un, and you know, for the rest of our life. Now, Jacob remembered for the rest of his life <laughs> wrestling with the angel. But he had to walk with pain. He had to walk with issues that were part of this. And we, we want to look at this, that Paul is begging for Onesimus to be received back. And he says, I beseech you. I am walking alongside of you, asking you to do this, he says. You know, I've gained, he is mine, which in times past was to you unprofitable, but now is profitable to you, whom I have sent again, and now therefore, you therefore receive him that is of my own bowels. Paul is saying, I love Onesimus. Treat him well. Now, I want to think about this. How many of us know somebody that we've led to the Lord that we need to disciple? Hopefully, there's somebody in your life. You know, I spent most of my life discipling my kids and other people you know, as well. But my goal now is always, who needs discipled? Who needs to be brought up? Who needs to learn how to think with God? You know, and this also means reaching out to those that don't seem to be worthy. You know, this is a problem in the Christian world a lot of times where we look at somebody and go, well, you know what, they're just too dirty. They're just too far gone. I don't want to have anything to do with them. And we almost think, of, well, if they get their life put together somehow then we can deal with them. 
I am so glad that God does not deal with us that way. What did he tell to the woman caught in adultery that was drugged to him? You know, he says, where are your accusers? And she goes, there's no, no man. And he goes, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He told the same thing to the woman at the well. All the sin that she committed, all the, all the fornication and adultery that she had committed, and he told her, go and sin no more. We want to reach out to the world and not reject people just because they looked too far gone. There is nobody who's too far gone. Matter of fact, sometimes they're, they're on that far gone because they need to have their will broken so that they will turn to God. And that's why they're where they're at. And we need to be able to minister, to touch them. And you know what the amazing thing is, is when you go out and you start witnessing to people and you start talking to some of these people that, they, that look like they're way far gone, you'll be surprised how easy it is to reach them when they hear about the love of God and that God died for them. And they'll tell you things like, well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. God died for your sins. He died for the thief on the cross and said, this day you'll be in paradise with me. And the word thief in that case, we, we use thief, but the, the word in our, if we were to translate it into today's language, would be terrorist. They were the ones that went around causing havoc, blowing up buildings, destroying, destroying roads. They were terrorists. And Jesus died for that man on the cross and took him to heaven. Now, we need to keep this in mind. There is nobody that's too far gone to be, be saved. Nobody. And there is nobody too good to get saved. Now, sometimes we kind of forget about those people on the other side. They, you know, they're the nice people. They'd give you the shirt off their back. They would give you food. They'd give you lodging. They, would, they will give you rides. They'll do all these good things, and they look really good. The scribes and the Pharisees, they look really good. But they're headed to hell as well without Jesus Christ. Because God will not take our works and bring us into heaven. So we don't want to forget anybody. Anybody without Jesus Christ is headed to hell. And there are going to be many at the white throne judgment that are going to say, God, you know, I did all these really nice things for people. You know, I visited the sick. I went to the prisons. I, I gave food out. I, I gave clothing out. And God's going to say, without him, depart from me. I never knew you. So here is Paul begging for Onesimus, a slave, a person who does not deserve forgiveness. Onesimus ran away from his owner for whatever reason. It doesn't tell us why. And it indicates to us, because Paul says at the end of the section we read, is if he owes you anything, make it my charge. So there are many people, because of that sentence, that believe that maybe Onesimus ran away with some of, some of the properties, some of the, some of the uh, uh, assets of Philemon to get to Rome. In the first place, we don't have proof of that, but there is that indication. So he's doubly in trouble. You know, he ran away from his master, and it looks like he stole something, some things from his master. And Paul's saying, he doesn't deserve it, but bring him back. Ex accept him back, because he has changed. He has accepted Jesus as his Savior. And so we need to be able to look at this and say, who do we care about? Who do we care about? At the very least, we should be caring about our family. Is our family going to heaven or not? And our friends should be next. But you know, the world should be part of that love. We should care about, the, about them. 
And then it says, whom I have sent again to you, receive him who is of my own bowels, whom I would have retained in your stead, that he might minister unto me in the bonds of the gospel. What is Paul saying here? Hey, Philemon, I really wanted to keep him. He's, he's helping me out a lot. But he's yours, so I sent him back. But I wanted to keep him. What is he saying? Philemon, maybe you'll send him back. <laughs> maybe you'll send him back. Because he can minister in your stead. And so we see this process going on. He goes, but. I love the word but. <laughs> when, when you see that word but in the Bible, something is changing. And the other word that you see is therefore. Anytime you see, and it's an old joke, but anytime you see therefore, look and find out why there, why it's there, what it's there for. Because right? it has a purpose. Something before it proceeded. When you read the word but, you need to go into the previous verses. So here we're seeing him say, I want to keep him. But he, but he says, without your mind, I would do nothing for that your benefit would be as not as of the necessity, but willingly. So he's going, I wanted to send him back to you so that you could make your decision. God is not looking for us to serve him out of necessity or by rule. He wants our service to be wholehearted. We're to love God with all our strength, with all our might, with all our mind, with all our soul. Anything less than that is not what God wants. If he, want, he doesn't want us just being obedient because somebody gave us a whole list of rules and said, obey these rules, and you'll be okay. Now, God has a lot of rules in the book. Most of the rules are designed to tell us, number one, that we're not perfect. And if you think you're perfect, you haven't read enough of the Bible. There are plenty of things in the Bible to tell you you're not perfect. And then if you, think you're, if you think you can pass the Old Testament rules, you go to Jesus and he says, okay, you think you're good, you think you've not committed adultery or fornication because you haven't done the act. Jesus goes, if you thought it, you've done it as far as, far as God's concerned. Jesus upped the ante quite a bit. You know, okay, so you didn't do these things. You thought about doing them seriously. Not just a, not just a glancing temptation, but you literally dwelt on it. He says, you're guilty. You know, wow. And God is saying, I want you to do obedience by choice. Not because you're compelled to. Not because you're afraid of the consequences. The government tries to get us to compel by having consequences. You know, I, why do I obey the speed limits that I hate so much? Because I don't want to see blue lights in my mirror handing me a piece of paper that cost me a lot of money. <laughs> You know, and then insurance going up because of, the, because of it. You know, I can't stand the speed limit, but I obey because of the consequences. I don't happily obey the speed limit. There are other rules I happily obey. <laughs> That's not one of them. And this is what Paul is saying. I don't want you to send him back to me by necessity. I don't even want you to accept him by necessity. He goes, I want you to do it out of mercy, out of God's mercy. How do we handle it when people come and get saved? Do we truly accept them? Or are we waiting for them to fall? You know, well, you know, been there, seen that, you know, I'm just waiting for you to fall. We want to be very careful about that attitude because when somebody is saved, they are a new creation. Now, how do I know that they're saved? I don't. I won't know until I see the fruit coming out of their life saying, I am saved. I'm loving people, I'm being kind, I'm, I'm forgiving, I'm showing mercy, I'm, in, I'm being obedient to Christ as much as possible. 
will see the change in their life. But you know what? When they say they're saved, we need to accept that they're saved until they can prove otherwise. And even then, they may just be weak. Because I'm standing here, and I'm not perfect, and I know nobody else in this room is perfect. And many of us have been Christians for a long time, and we're not perfect yet. We can't expect a newborn Christian to be perfect. They need to be encouraged. They need to be loved. They need to be taught. Because one thing I have learned over the years is the more I walk with God, the more I realize how imperfect I am because he keeps showing me all the imperfections in my heart. It's like, okay, God, I've got this. And he goes, okay, good. Let's show you the next thing you're dealing with. Jeremiah tells us that the innermost thoughts of our heart are so evil we don't know him. And God just keeps shining the light a little deeper to show us, you know, okay, you think you've arrived? Let me take care of you. Getting rid of the outside stuff is easy. The things that people see, it's easy to get rid of those things. What's really hard? My thoughts. You know, aren't we glad that most times that people can't read our thoughts? <laughs> you know, when you're thinking, I really just want to smack this person upside the head for what they're saying, and you don't say it, and you keep the smile on your, on your face, and you're really happy that nobody knows your thoughts except for God, <laughs> who knows how you reacted in the first place, and says, okay, his eyes, I'm still guilty. Consequences aren't as bad for thoughts, but we want to be careful. How do we deal with these weaker brothers and sisters? And he says, perhaps he has departed so that you can get him back, not just as a servant, but as a brother. And in other words, Paul's saying he's now part of the family. Maybe he wasn't going to get saved if he stayed with Philemon. He was concerned about that. And now Paul's saying, you're getting him back. He's now a brother. And treat him good. And then he begs him one last big time. If you count me as your brother, as your... Let's see. Lost it. If you count me, therefore, as a partner or a sharer, receive him as myself. If he has wronged you or done anything, caused you, caused anything, acted unjustly with you or owes you anything, and this is a personal debt that he's talking about, then put it to my account. So Paul's saying, if, you, if anything, if he's going to cost you anything, charge it to me. And this is quite a, quite a statement that Paul's doing. He's reaching out for one who is totally gone and totally lost. All right? So we want to look at this. A Christian is unity. We are joined deeply and connected deeply with one another as a family. Paul is reaching out to Philemon and saying, okay, this is no longer just your runaway servant, your runaway slave. He is now a brother in Christ. Treat him accordingly. And then charge me anything that he may owe you. And Paul's real hope is maybe he'll get Onesimus back. Philemon might have said, okay, you go back and serve Paul. You know, you be, my, you be my caretaker. We saw that indication on there that, you know, Paul said, I'd really like to keep him, but I can't unless you do it voluntarily. How do we deal with people that are enslaved and imprisoned prison to the devil? Do we realize that the lost are prisoners to their sin? Why do we sin? Because we are sinners. We are enslaved to sin. Even as Christians, we are enslaved to sin without it being crucified. And our walk with God allows us to grow deeper with Christ and become unchained and be able to do other things than just that sin. You know, I don't remember, I don't know how many people have 
remember before they were saved and you just couldn't do things right, no matter how much you wanted to do the right, you ended up being enslaved by some sin. Whether it's drugs or alcohol or theft or, or promiscuity, all these different things that happened and you just could not help yourself. Why? Mostly because the world was telling you it's okay anyway. You know, so we want to be able to say, God, I need you. We reach out to people. We don't condemn people when they fall. We help them be lifted up. You know, we go to the, to the individual who's fallen and lift them up and encourage them. Because God loves them. God is not abandoning them. He doesn't kick the person when they're down. He lifts them up. Even if they're not saved, he still lifts them up and does what he can to help them. God is encouraging us as Christians to do the same thing. Reach out and help those who need the help. We're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we help ask that you would give us eyes to see like you see. Give us your eyes to see people lost in slavery, bound, and be able to show mercy and kindness and help lift them up. Lord, give us that desire. Lord, there's anybody who listens to this message that doesn't know you. We ask today that they would come to you and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Come into my life and save me. And that person will share with others, Christians, what, what you've done in their life as they become a new creation. And Lord, for those of us that know you, give us the desire, the heart to go forward and move with you. In Jesus' name, amen.